Hello and welcome to Unsuckable. Um, yeah, we're back. Another episode, another summer, sort of summer episode um, with things to cover internationally. And on a normal normal year, I would say, yeah, the, the Nations League stuff is just so boring. Who cares? Um, but this year, it we've kind of made it interesting. So lots to break it down um, with the things that have happened, especially in this country. And to help me do this this week, we got Adrian Sosa on. Adrian, how's it going? It's going well. It's going well. I had a uh, media blackout the last week or so. So what a week my, to take a media blackout. I know. <laughs> I know. I, uh, you know, the end of the Champions League, the end of the club season, I ignored the Nations League. But like you said, the Nations League hasn't been that bad. I did watch a little bit of football while I was gone. But as far as the Canada situation goes, which I assume oh, cool. is what you're sort of alluding to, I haven't really taken that in. So I will have some questions for you and I will be a avid listener as well to what you have to say about that one. Yeah, it's... I have more to say about this, but let's bring in uh, Filippo first. Filippo, how's it going? Uh, you must have been sitting south of the border. I'm like, what's going on up there? Yeah, man. I, I was. I was. I, I. What I realized this week was Canada just reached peak Concacaf. You're just part of Concacaf now. They're just like, we're gonna. We got to do something. We've been way too behaved, and then they decided to cancel two friendlies for different reasons. I'm not saying who's right or wrong. I don't know enough about the stories. I was just following through, seeing it being canceled and trying to trying to understand. Like Josh is not here today, but lately on YouTube, he's been doing more breakdowns of game here. cancellations than game <laughs> itself. And it's freaking hilarious right now. That's that's what I have to say. But but honestly, I've been following games here and there. Obviously, a lot of United States and UEFA Nations League and a little bit of Brazil too. Brazil had a couple of friendlies. There was a lot to talk about, including England. Oh yeah, we get to we get to that game too. Don't worry. Um, but Canada, all right, guys. Canada was the center of the soccer universe um, for all the wrong reasons. We did it um, before becoming relevant because we were good. Now we're also relevant because a labor strike that ended up in a game being canceled against Panama. That was already the replacement game for another game that was canceled because of political controversy with, with Iran, right? Um, of course, Iran, um, the game being canceled because uh, Iran shot down a plane with uh, over 60 Canadian citizens on board, uh, Ukraine flight, forgot the exact number. Um, but yeah, so that Iran game got canceled. Then the Panama game got canceled because of labor of a labor union conflict. And um, Adrian, I know you were on a blackout, but you must have seen what was going on. And like like you, I was actually on a blackout too that week and I was in Seattle. And um, at one point I was like, okay, well, while I was following the story, what's going on? And I just started making calls to figure it out. But how did you see this entire thing? I mean, like I said, I'm sort of an avid listener for this section, but as I was sitting there on my vacation, I believe I was gardening at the time, and I saw this sort of rumor that the Canada match against Panama, which, as you said, was the fill-in for the Iran-friendly, was not going to happen. And I'm thinking, okay, why? Well, why is this happening? What's going on? And then, of course, you know, you don't typically hear about these sort of things 
outside of CONCACAF, or maybe you do, and I just haven't heard about it regularly, but you hear about it with the States. There was that long ongoing sort of um, strike that happened, or not strike that happened, but that sort of deliberations between the U.S. Soccer Federation and the equal pay between the women and the men's. And so you sort of see these sort of compensation-based disagreements between players and their uh, their playing union or the their federation. But to see it happen with Canada was just sort of like, it kind of took all the air out of the balloon after all of this sort of momentum that was going on manual with Canadian soccer. Because like you said, we were relevant because of what we had achieved and finally making the World Cup. And then I think Filippo actually kind of said it best <laughs> on Twitter. Uh, you know, maybe not best. You might disagree with this one, Manuel. But when he said that Canada qualifies for a World Cup and now they don't know how to act, I, I honestly laughed at that. And while it <laughs> is understandable, <laughs> it is, it is. Well, it is sort of understandable. And I'm sure you'll have more of a breakdown as to what the disagreement is exactly. It was, it did definitely sort of pop the balloon, as I said, of all this sort of optimism and excitement. And Alfonso Davies is back in the squad and we get to see Canada play since they first qualified. And then it sort of was a question of, are any of these matches going to go ahead? Even the competitive ones, right, Filippo? Yeah, I'm wondering how Luca Coleosho felt in camp, right? This was the camp that Canada brought him in. He's an exciting prospect for the United States and, and Canada. Comes into camp for the senior squad. The kid is ready to go. I wonder if he had one heck of an experience there or not. Maybe maybe the United States just won that dual national battle. Just I guess Canada won it for the United States, maybe. I mean, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, he still could get played, I believe, tonight. Is it tonight? No, no. He, he's not playing in Nations League. Um, the, the I think he even left camp already. He was there for the friendlies <laughs> because he wasn't going to get cap tied. The plan was for him to be integrated in camp and not get cap tied. So he wasn't going to play Nations League, which if he played, he would be provisionally cap tied and he would have to play for Canada for at least three years, if I'm not mistaken. And then he could yeah. switch, a one-time switch, if he wanted to. So he wasn't going to play Nations League. To be continued then? Yes. Yeah. I might have some more on this soon as well. Um, it's just been so busy with this other stuff. Yeah, we've this this, this has been such a disaster. Um, I think in, I was in Seattle on, on the weekend and um, I seen, seen the reports come out. Um, Westhead from TSN doing a, a very good job of finding out why players weren't at training. Uh, and why training was cancelled and then uh, reporting the strike. And then I think at one point on on Sunday, my buddy is like, well, are they playing? And I'm like, let me find out. And um, obviously they did not. And then the rest of the week has been me trying to, to follow the story on um, whether they are going to play or not against uh, Curacao. And I think um, it was on Monday that I reported that they will be going back to training and then they are going to play the game, and this is all has happened. Um, you know, the, the feeling was always that the best leverage for them was the the Panama game because the consequences are the least for missing it, right? Um, in the end of the day, it's about leverage and what you can and what you can get uh, from the federation. And um, missing the Curacao game would have had way bigger implications, um, from a hundred thousand dollar fine to being excluded from the competition altogether. And this would also include the Gold Cup, right? And I don't think the players were ever going to take that risk. Um, I find it interesting, though, the the statements that have come out. And a lot of it is tied into the the equal pay thing um, that, that's going on in the United States. Um, look, 
that that is a very very good thing but i think a lot of people overlook the fact that the the, the men's players want the, the equal pay to be tied to earnings made in the respective world cups right so um the equal pay would essentially say that the man and the woman would get a certain percentage of the earnings made in their respective world cup which is of course the, the women's world cup at the moment doesn't make very much money um the man earn about 10 million dollars from just qualifying and that money they were supposed to get what 20 percent um from that and then uh bontis dr nick bontis with a very questionable press conference saying that they could not give the players any more money because that player money was all supposed to go to um go through all sorts of different organizations from the women to the U20s to U2017s and so on to para sports um, completely ignoring the fact that without the man qualifying that money wouldn't have been there even anyways so I don't understand why was this money earmarked that you can't you know you can't uh, sell the bear before shooting it. It just doesn't work that way. So I, I wonder what kind of calculations Canada Soccer came up with that they had earmarked money that they hadn't even earned. This this press conference in general, I thought was very strange and very um, didn't leave Canada Soccer in a good light. Um, and also the fact that they didn't negotiate until now. I mean, the fact that they said it was March is not true. Um, you know, there's a lot of things going on. I mean... Any of you two seeing this, Adrian, you in particular, as you're also Canadian, the, the, the fact is that Canada soccer as an organization isn't a bad place. I think there's no two ways of saying that. Like, this organization is not well run. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit frustrating because it felt like that's always been the case with Canada that we've always heard how poorly run it is, how they don't put proper funding into certain areas as far as development goes, et cetera. And it felt like we were, at least from a sporting perspective, starting to round that corner. And Canada was improving in all of these things. And they had the results to show of it. I mean, qualifying for the World Cup, that says a lot about how things have been going from a sporting perspective. But this just sort of seems like, and again, I'm sort of on the outside looking in with this story, learning as I go, it just sort of sort of shines at a sort of unwanted spotlight on Canada soccer once again, and further questions of how they're being run, how they're allowing this to happen, how it took this long, how they wouldn't want to sort it out earlier, and that it's, it's just a bad look. Two cancelled friendlies, and then they are basically being forced, as you said, to play in this Nations League. It's just, it's disappointing because like I said, it felt like we we're moving all in the right direction and to hear that there's still an aspect of Canada soccer that is lagging behind. I hope that it gets sorted out soon, but Manuel, speaking from your experience and what you've heard, how close to a resolution does it seem, if any? <sighs> I mean, they are pretty far apart. Um, the leverage is friendlies. There's many. The If Canada Soccer has earmarked this money already, um, I don't know if they are able to, to change the spending or maybe the money is already gone. Um, it wouldn't be for the first time that money has been spent before it's before it's earned um and the team has now hired a lawyer right 
to, to negotiate all of this. It's extremely difficult um, and the damage is, is significant to both the reputation of the team and the association because a lot of Canadians that were maybe on the, on neutral on this or just started following soccer um, will look at this and say, well, it's a bunch of guys that make millions of dollars um, playing in some of the biggest leagues in the world holding um, the system hostage um, while also seeing a federation that is just run by when you just go by the press conference a lunatic and, and this, I'm not saying he is a lunatic but it, the, the impressions that were left from that press conference did not leave the impressions of a professionally run organization and um, that's damage that both sides need to repair and that's extremely difficult. A lot of the goodwill is gone. And negotiations when there is no goodwill are very hard. So I think this is going to be taking a long time. But Filippo, I see your hand is up. So jump in. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not going to talk much about the Canadian situation. I think you guys pretty much covered everything that has to cover about it. And I'm not really going to give an opinion. Not my federation, not my country. I would have to look into it to have a well-educated opinion, think about it a little bit. But just from the United States' experience was something that I guess to a certain extent there's similarities, right? It only does damage, right? It doesn't help. It becomes chaotic. It takes a while to resolve. So don't expect it to be resolved even this year. The United States took a years to resolve. And also it ends up not being resolved by the Federation. It ends up becoming more of the players taking the initiative and, and getting it solved out, sorted out. The Federation is not going to help. That's what I'll tell you all. Um, the U.S. Soccer Federation is incompetent. The Canadian Soccer Federation is showing to be equally as incompetent on resolving issues. It, it just does damage to Canadian soccer. That's the truth. And, and it, it, it kind of sucks for Canada because you guys are on a roll, right? Catching good momentum, qualified to the World Cup. We'll play at home in 2026. This doesn't help. So that, that's just my, my, my two cents on it. No, it really doesn't. Um, yeah. And I think it's going to take some time for it to be fixed. Uh, I'm at the game tomorrow. Um, and I'm curious about the turnout. I want to say this maybe before we wrap this up um, and talk a little bit about the United States, Filippo. British Columbia is, and for a lot of people that are out east, they don't understand this um, because they are hardly ever come here. But this isn't just you jumping on some train and you get from point A to B to watch your national team. And I know that the Federation is completely run out of east. And I know that a lot of the players are based there. Davies, of course, played for the Whitecaps, so maybe he understands it a little bit better than some others. But there were people from the Vancouver Island that came to this game. They took a ferry. That's one way, that's two hours, just on a boat. There were people that drove from all over the province to see the national team. A province that has been completely ignored by Canada soccer, by the way, in this entire cycle. And um, they were in Vancouver to do make a weekend of it, and then the game got cancelled. And for those fans, that's an enormous expense. At a time where gasoline prices in this province are over $2.20 per liter. And 
How much is that in gallons? So it's the American. Like, how much is a liter? How many liters in a gallon? Times four. I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like eight bucks for a gallon. Oh right? my god, that's that's more expensive than California it's expensive. gas. Yeah, it's expensive, man. And these people paid for driving there. And the players, to less extent, but they are still responsible. And the federation need to take a long, hard look at this shit show that they produced there. And I'm getting emails now about 75% off. Make the Curacao game free. Honestly, you messed up. You messed up badly. And also you messed up badly in a place that has the only stadium in this country that can actually give you a profit from these games. I mean, this is such a disaster on all fronts. And if you were a private run company, every single one of the heads of this, of this place would have been fired. And this is where we need to look at. And there needs to be an apology coming in to the people of British Columbia. This is unacceptable. Um, that's my rant on the show. Are you ready for the NBA champs to be crowned? Join the finals action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 NBA bet and get $150 in free bets. Looking to turn another small bet into a big payday during the NBA Finals? With DraftKings' same-game parlay, you can do just that. This NBA season, a customer placed a $5 same-game parlay and won over $5,000. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more. And boom, you have a shot at an even bigger payout. Download DraftKings Sportsbook app. Use promo code TBPN. Make any $5 bet during an NBA Finals and get $150 in free bets instantly. This promo code TBPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Um, let's talk about the United States, Filippo. Your thoughts on, on... You actually got to play some games. That's nice. Yeah, we faced Morocco uh, last week on Wednesday, and then we faced Uruguay over the weekend. So Morocco, we defeated them 3-0, which is a very good result, right, when you look into it. Morocco in the last World Cup gave Spain trouble, got a draw with Spain, if I'm not mistaken. Lost just 1-0 to Portugal, 1-0 to Iran. So it's a tough team, but we beat them 3-0 at home. Uh, we had a good performance, but I, I kept telling people, take it the grain of salt. One, it's a friendly. And in 2018, the United States tied France before the World Cup in a friendly. Does that mean we were World Cup contenders? Heck no, we weren't even in the World Cup. So also Morocco had games in Africa to play, if I'm not mistaken. It was the AFCON qualifiers, right, for the the, the cup that they have there. So I don't know how much interest Morocco actually had in this game. They were also missing Ziyech because he has issues with the coach. They were missing Mazarawi that just signed for Bayern. He was injured. Uh, Hakimi didn't really seem tuned into the match. Regardless, we won 3-0. Um, we learned that Brendan Aronson can play the 8. He played very well at the 8. Uh, and besides that, there are a couple other lessons that I already dove into in the channel. But 3-0 win. Then we went on to the weekend to face Uruguay, which is most certainly a tougher opponent than Morocco, in my opinion. I think Uruguay is a team that can easily battle off anyone in the knockout rounds in the World Cup. I don't, I'm not saying they're World Cup contenders, but they're a team that will give any top nation hell to deal with in a knockout round. The problem with Uruguay was when we faced them, they had faced Mexico on Thursday, and they rotated a lot. Essentially, their starting 11 had two players that are considered starters, which one is Jimenez that plays for Atletico Madrid, the center back. 
that got injured early in the game, by the way, and Darwin Nunes, right? Uh, many other players weren't there. Hascaeta from Flamengo didn't play. Pelestri was on the bench. Betancourt wasn't there because he's injured. Luis Suarez wasn't there. Valverde was on the bench and many others that I'm not going to dive into. Even Musleta started, and he's a backup goalkeeper for Uruguay nowadays. Sergio Rochette is the starter. We tied Uruguay 0-0. To be quite honest, Uruguay probably, if if I had to just go based on what happened in the game, Uruguay probably could have won 1 or 2-0. We had some chances too. Jesus missed a couple goals. Cavani missed the goal at the end of the, the game that normally he doesn't. Regardless, I, I personally talked about how I don't think you learn too much on these friendlies, right? Uh, in terms of like if the guy can't perform or not. I do want to tell you one thing though, Manuel, and I want to get your opinion on this actually. Adrian won't know much, but you definitely know this player very well. Joe Scally was very poor against Uruguay. It was his first USMNT start. You've watched him quite a bit in Bundesliga, and, and and he looked fine in Bundesliga, right? He was never a problem for Gladbach. He was never a problem. He held his own. I, I know you didn't watch the game, but what are your thoughts on that? Do you think it may be just nervous, his first start? Maybe doesn't understand exactly what Greg wants? What what do you think happened to Joe Scali in the game? As you said, I didn't watch the game. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good question. I, but I he was fine that, in Bundesliga, right? The I game you the ba- I've seen the backlash on on the ratings. Um, that that caused some debate. I, I don't know. It's it's a friendly. Um, this is a player that has been ignored in the past by Bearhalder. Maybe that plays a role. Um, but that's like I don't know. I, I did as I said. I didn't watch the game, but he was good in the he was good in the Bundesliga. Um, at the start of the season, he had he had some issues uh, further down the road. Uh, caught COVID at one point, right? And that kind of derailed his season. I mean, overall, Gladbach's year wasn't very good, um, in fairness. And uh, Adi Hütter, the head coach, has been fired at the end of the year. And um, it's really hard to say. Um, you know, he I probably would have needs to watch, more chances. I would have to watch the footage, to be honest with you, Filippo. Um, I just think that he, it's his first start. He's 19. I think yeah. uh, he needs more chances. I do want to say one thing. The backlash wasn't really because of Joe Scali's rating. I thought I actually saw the, the rating and I thought it was fair. Uh, he wasn't good. It was yeah. pretty fair. The backlash was more because they gave Ariola a decent rating. And Ariola literally what the, he did was he killed our offense in the second half. He would get the ball and give it away every single second. All Ariola did was run. If we're gonna put Ariola to play, you might as well freaking put Forrest Gump in the field, and it's gonna you're gonna get the same result. Uh, it wasn't good against Uruguay Ariola. The backlash was more towards that how they were ripping apart Scali and ignoring the horrible performance of one of the most informed MLS players right now. Ariola has been very good for Dallas this year, and I have no problem in saying that. He was, I watched him against Orlando here. And he was very good, but he was horrible again for the United States, which is not the first time, not the second time, not the third. So that was more of the backlash. It wasn't really because of Scali's rating, because I think even people that defended Scali a lot, like myself, I kind of agreed with their analysis on Scali. It was not good. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't the best towards the end of the Bundesliga campaign. He did make those comments about... um, not being in touch with Behalda much. So maybe there is also personal problems going on there. And he's 19, right? Um, it was his first professional season also. 
Yeah. Yeah. Real professional season. Um, so I don't know. I, I think it's going to be more interesting to see how he does like further down the road. And if you give him, give him another chance, you never know with Berhalter, right? Like, is this now like the defining moment and it's going to ruin it for him forever? Dude, Greg, Greg, uh, I think that's a broken disc at this point. Greg is a mystery, right? The United <laughs> States, the, I mean, even though some people think we have all of this, we do have a better team than we had in the past in terms of talent. That's, I think yeah. that's unquestionable. But we're not a team that is good enough to leave a player of John Brooks's quality, right? A proven Bundesliga veteran, very good on the ball. We're not there yet. And, and, and I mean, that's something that we can talk about another time. But let's just move on. The United States, that's like the big, the big summary of what went on this past seven days. Yeah. Um, but while I have you here, and this like ties in nicely into our next top topic, uh, and I know Adrian will have some things to say about this too. What did you make of uh, Nunez's performance against the United States? Because he's been heavily linked to Liverpool. Yeah, so against the United States, let's just say he didn't have the best of games. Uh, wasn't the worst in the field, but definitely wasn't the best. But but uh, as I said, it's a friendly. A lot happens. And, and also there's he played with Uruguay's B team, essentially, right? When you're playing with better... So what I... Not that the team was bad, but when you have better players that you can combine with that will create high probability opportunities, you'll have a better performance. I The little bit I watched of Darwin in World Cup qualifying, a few games for Uruguay and uh, Champions League, I think he'll be one heck of an addition to Liverpool. One heck of an addition. He can work well in a press too. Now, against the United States, yes, he didn't really look like a Liverpool player. But to be quite honest, no one really looked like a Liverpool player in that game. Filippo, I'm curious, was you was the USA defending for a lot of that match? Was it Uruguay on the front foot? No. So here's the thing with Uruguay. They, they're one of those teams that they give you possession. They make you feel like you're controlling the game. So if you look at the game, besides when Uruguay put in their, their starters, it kind of looked like the U.S. was control and not really controlling, but controlling the game, right? We were holding possession. We were attacking. Uh, Uruguay is one of those teams that they try to kill you off in transition or they get the ball and they're very direct, go right towards it. So it looked overall balanced from that standpoint. The U.S. wasn't defending. Neither was really Uruguay. No, it was just pretty balanced to that. But the U.S. did hold more possession for most part of the game. And then when Uruguay put out the, the big boys later in the game, you could see the difference in quality and Uruguay started to even create more and be more dangerous. But no, it wasn't really... Uh, Uruguay dominating the U.S. defending because that's not how Uruguay plays under Diego Alonso right now. Because that, that if it was the case where the U.S. was defending a lot, that is where Darwin does struggle. And why don't we just get right into this? Because there's a lot of reports coming out, including from a very trusted Portuguese source, Pedro Sepulveda. Shout out to him that Darwin Nunez could be heading to Liverpool. That Liverpool is willing to break the bank and break their transfer record, really, and pay 80 million plus 20 in add-ons to bring Darwin Nunez to Liverpool. And to me, of all the clubs that he has been linked with, it just seems to make the most sense to me because he does seem like the kind of player that Klopp can take and he can sort of iron out all of the sort of kinks that he has or you know smooth out the rough edges that Darwin has, some of his deficiencies, such as his hold-up play, such as his passing and really make him a lethal, lethal player. And I think that he fits Liverpool perfectly because they are that kind of team that likes to attack quickly in transition. Now, the only question that I would have 
is what are they going to do with Luis Diaz and what will the setup be? I would assume that it would be tell Darwin to stay central and then you'll have Salah on the right and Luis Diaz on the left, which is a pretty terrifying proposition when you think of Liverpool's attack, if Salah is to stay. But um, yeah, I'm, I mean, Darwin has been linked with everybody. He's been linked with Manchester United quite heavily as well. And I don't know if that would be a fit simply because it's difficult to see how United are going to play. No, I mean, we have plenty of evidence as to how Eric Ten Hag likes to play, of course. But going to a new club like this, it's going to take time for him to sort of change that club. And then let's be honest, Filippo, United needs a lot of help. So I don't know that Manchester United would really make sense for him. But going to Liverpool, I mean, Manuel, I know that you're an admirer of Darwin as well. He just... He just seems to have that sort of skill set that Klopp really looks to. When you think of all the players that Klopp has brought into his attack, they're often very pacey. Might not be perfect technically to start with, but he does find a way to really make them well-rounded players, like he did with Manet, who could be on his way out, right? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, you know that my opinion on... Muniz is very high, and Jurgen Klopp is, um, in my opinion, the best manager in the world. And they do need a number nine, and um, Darwin Muniz ticks all the boxes, and he would will tick the boxes for a very long time, right? I think they haven't really had a striker like him since uh, Luis Suarez left Liverpool, and um, obviously that's a different era of the club altogether, but. Um, especially when you look at Robert Teofamino and um, what he has done in that number nine role, I, I think that Liverpool have sort of revamped that attacking three um, because, yeah, it, it, all the stuff that's coming out about Sadio Mane today, about them being very upset and uh, oh, having hurt feelings about the offer that Bayern Munich have made. At the end of the day, uh, Sadio Mane's head has been turned and he wants to go to, to Bayern Munich. And and uh, I think they will find some sort of resolution in that. And uh, Mohamed Salah could very well go to Real Madrid, right? So they will have to rebuild that front three and they will have to bring in new players. And this is what's going to happen either way. You know, like players are getting older and Klopp has to... Klopp is now at a stage in his career uh, at Liverpool where he was towards the end at Dortmund where he, all these players left and were sold or moved on and he had to sort of rebuild it and this is a really interesting stage in his career because um, that can be very difficult and I think that in, in Nunez defining a player who is going to make them look very different as well in that in an attack you know you're going away from three forwards that can interchangeably play positions to essentially who I define as a target man who is supposed to, to give you an output of, let's say, 20 to 30 goals a season, right, Adrian? I mean, this is the sort of projection that we are looking at at Darwin Nunez. Um, I mean, this is... I find it wild, for example, that Bayern Munich are throwing all this money at the potentially Sadio Mane, a 30-year-old winger, who is, yes, very good, but also will by no means replace... Robert Lewandowski. No, that's for sure. It's it is a little bit of a conundrum for uh, for Bayern, and I think I think we need to sort of set some expectations for Darwin Nunez a little bit because there's he's an incredibly divisive player on the internet. But mind you, don't listen to opinions on Twitter. Of course, that's rule number one of going on the internet. But. He does have deficiencies, like I said. His hold-up play isn't fantastic. His passing isn't fantastic. But 
that's why I think that he's the kind of player that Klopp would look to and how good he would be playing down that left or through the middle, but drifting to the left a little bit and maybe sort of swapping with Luis Diaz interchangeably. But I think that if he is to go to Liverpool, it would offer something different. And this is something that we heard in the media quite a bit is that Klopp is looking to bring in a more traditional number nine, whether that's Darwin Nunez, I don't know, but he has improved a lot as far as his positioning because in his first season at Benfica, I think he only scored 14 goals, but he had a ton of assists. Then in his second season at Benfica, he scored 34 goals and 41 appearances, which is a great return. And he was very much outperforming his expected goals by a long shot, which does give me a little bit of pause and that I want to see him prove that he can do it again in a second consecutive season before moving along, but it's looking like he's moving along anyway. So a lot of people are thinking, you know, he's he's going to be this next elite striker or he's going to be an absolute flop. I think that if you were to compare him to a current striker and the sort of success that they achieved and how efficient they can be in the box, etc., I know this is an easy comparison and one that's made a lot, but I would say that he could maybe reach the level of a Cavani, who is a top, top player, but maybe not that world-class level that the Lewandowski's and now the Karim Benzema have gotten to. Right, Filippo? Yeah, I think one way, one thing to point out about Darwin this season was he almost averaged a goal a game in Liga Noes, right? And when you look into the Champions League, he pretty much only scored against the big boys, right? He scored against Barcelona twice. He scored against Bayern Munich, scored against Ajax, and scored against Liverpool twice. Uh, look, um, 22 years of age, Klopp knows what he's doing. I, I Liverpool hasn't really had many flops lately, have they? I think that's a good thing to point out. No, their, their scouting department has been fantastic, and they tend to pull off these signings out of nowhere sometimes like the Fabinho signing that they made a couple of seasons ago came out of nowhere and he's just been fantastic they didn't miss with Luis Diaz I think that that was a great 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 signing to make at 45 million plus bonuses so I think that they pun intended have it down to a science with their data and analysis of uh, of new signings so I think that we can trust the Liverpool scouts more than we can trust uh, random accounts on Twitter yeah, they, they also saw Diaz play against them twice, right? They tested him there. They definitely got a lot of data from those two games. And they probably scouted him for a long time before making that decision. And and again, like you said, they got Luis Diaz from the Portuguese league, and it's been a major success already. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't think he would be a flop. I mean, it could be normal for him to maybe struggle in the beginning of the Premier League, right? He's jumping to a tougher league. But at the same time, he's going to a team that things go well. Right, very well ran team, well coached. I, I don't see it being a flop, and I can see him being a Cavani level. And honestly, a Cavani level player—that's one heck of a center forward. Absolutely, that's a that's a fantastic career. If you can say that you've, you know, reached the level of Edinson Cavani, of course. And I think just maybe one last thing, unless Manuel has something else to say. Darwin Nunez has shown that in his two seasons at Benfica, if anything, he's incredibly willing to work and incredibly willing to listen to feedback from his coaches. Last season, or the two seasons ago now, I guess, he got a ton of assists. He was passing when he should be shooting. And I'm pretty sure that Georges Jesus told him to be a little bit more selfish out there. And that has worked. He's improved on his finishing, and he's taken well to any sort of feedback that he's gotten from our coaches, and he's very much willing to learn and to grow. And I think that alone and the humble beginnings that he came from I think that he's just so, so hungry for success. And when he gets that opportunity, if it is at Liverpool, if it is working under someone like Klopp, 
I'm pretty sure that, yes, like you said, Filippo, it could take some time getting used to, new league, new culture, etc., all the sort of growing pains that come with a transfer to another country. But I do, I would bet that he will be a success eventually. No, 100% he will be. It's Klopp. And he's rebuilding that front line. Um, and I think Nunes has made the final puzzle piece for it. And then he's going to unceremoniously dump all these other guys out and sell them to other clubs who, who think they can still get something out of guys who are in their 30s. Um, Filippo. I did not have this on the agenda. But I happily talk about it. This is the Germany-England game. Look, the UEFA Nations League is a series of friendlies disguised as competitive games. This is how I see it. I see all these Nation League games like that. They are a joke Mickey Mouse tournament. And they're only interesting this year because um, they're kind of sort of a replacing a World Cup that should be, be played right about now. But that said, for except with the all the war stuff that's going on whenever these two countries meet, so far so that even the uh, World Feed reporter exclaimed Kane 50 against the old enemy in Munich. I mean, what, this is not a bombing raid. This is a soccer game. Um, we still have to talk about this, I think, in some ways. And Filippo, you are a huge fan, fan of Harry Kane. He's your favorite player. I know you have posters all over your walls. <laughs> so just for starters, I have nothing against Harry Kane. And, and Harry Kane is a fantastic center forward, proven. There's no arguing against that. But I do also believe he's extremely overhyped, <laughs> extremely overhyped and over-exaggerated on his overall ability. But it's not really just about Harry Kane, right? When you look into England, they're seen as this team that's, you know, the infamous or famous, it's coming home chance. And, and there seems to be a lot of EPL fans, not just English fans, EPL fans across the world that believe this national team is a World Cup contender. And, and sure, you can put them up there as a World Cup contender in terms of player names that they have, uh, like on paper, even though I do think a lot of the players in that team are overhyped. Don't get me started, even in players like Declan Rice that they love to hype so much. But my overall point here is it's fair to say England is a World Cup contender, but they are by far the weakest World Cup contender in this World Cup. And the only way they'll make it far is if they get an easy bracket. That's the way to put it. If you go back to the 2018 World Cup, it was the same thing. They lost every single game they faced elite opponents. They lost two games to Belgium and they lost to Croatia. And honestly, even though Croatia made it that far, I didn't even consider them elite opponents. They were a very good team, and they caught in form, and they were able to make that run, but they definitely weren't the second-best team in that World Cup, and England fell to them and lost to Belgium twice in the World Cup. You go back to the Euros, they love to bring up that they beat Germany in the Euros, and Manuel, you can talk about this better than me. That was a German team that was in one of their lowest points in many... Like They, were, they had a coach leaving, Joaquin Lowe was leaving. Things just weren't going well for Germany, and we saw this game recently how Germany is a better team than England right now. I keep talking about how England lacks creativity through the middle. And again, it's not because of lack of players. They have players that can do that job. There's a little bit on Southgate. He is a horrible coach, regardless of the results he's achieved. They also lost the, the Euros to Italy at home. Italy, the team that didn't even qualify to the World Cup. 
Italy did, you know, is still a strong side. And if they went to the World Cup, they probably would be contenders, probably better than England, to be quite honest. I just want to make this clear, and I want to say it again, and people can hold me accountable for this in the World Cup if England ends up winning it, or or even if England makes a run to the final. This is an extremely overhyped team, and England will likely fall in the World Cup against the first World Cup contender they face, the first one. If they face Brazil, Argentina, France, Germany, I mean, even even Spain, they, they will fall. And I think they would even get knocked out by a team like Netherlands. That's that's what I think of England. Now, if they face the secondary, the tier two teams, they'll probably go through. They have more than enough quality to that. I just wanted to make that clear because I'm kind of tired of like all the overhype of certain players of the English national team, mostly because of the Premier League. And we've seen this in the past. We've seen England with teams that were stacked and people were just giving them the World Cup before it started. And they would always crash early. Again, that's just my little... By, I'm being repetitive also at this point in England. I'm, I'm just tired of all of this. They also lost to Hungary before they played Germany, and they got very lucky to tie Germany. They should have lost this game. Yeah, they probably should have. Um, I was disappointed, not because I care about the Nations League, but because I see how much work Hansi Flick has put in this team since he's taken over. And... The progress has been magnificent. Um, this is a very different Germany team that is a lot of fun to watch again. And um, obviously has some very good pieces there. And uh, in Schlotterbeck and Süle, we have some very good centre-backs finally again. Rüdiger too, um, amazing. Manuel Neuer, probably still the best goalkeeper in the world. He showed once again in this game. Um, Jamal Musiala was for me, and you made this joke on Twitter, Philip, oh, well done the best English player on the pitch. He's playing for Germany. And there's a lot of good stuff going on. It there. wasn't a joke. It, well, it is. He's an actual, he's an actual creative player that England could very much use there in the middle. Yeah, I, I said at the time when this debate was going on, um, whether he was going to play for Germany or England, and he is actually German, like fully on born there. Right. And uh, spent a quite a large portion of his life there too. Jamal Musiala was the player that neither team could afford to lose. And um, because Jamal Musiala and um, Miguel Delaney made this point on Twitter, and I agree with that, he looks a lot like Rivaldo. Um, I actually think he will be the player who will one day replace Thomas Müller. And um, the players like that don't come along very often. England have a lot of wingers. Um, one-dimensional wingers. Germany doesn't have very many of them, but, um, you know, the one Manuel, you can't say that. One-dimensional. The Premier League fans are going to go crazy on you. Like, how can you say that? We have all these world-class players. The Premier League lost players that run fast in one direction. And long ball merchants. They love that. Yeah, love that. And that's that's a style that works for them. Fair enough. Um, It just doesn't necessarily translate well into international football. And so, like, Jamal Musiala, I thought he was great. And when he came off, the, the Germany game dropped, um, you know, because we brought on a one-dimensional striker in Timo Werner. <laughs> um, and I was disappointed because of Which that. Which happens because, to play in the Premier League. Yeah, but also I think that at that point, the Germany should have put the game away. 
it should have been two or three nil at that point. And we wouldn't even talk about this stupid penalty and whether it was a penalty or not. And it was a penalty, unfortunately, by the way the laws are now executed, it was a penalty. So fair play. But we wouldn't even talk about it if Germany would have put this game away. And this is where my frustration is. And I think Hansi Flick is the first person to understand this and he has tons of time to fix it. Because you see so much good with this team right now. But you cannot just rely on scoring one goal against the big opponents. It was the same against Italy. It was the same against the Netherlands. Those were also two games that we should have won. And what was missing was another two, one or two goals. And then you win those games. And I think that's that's why I'm a little frustrated from this result. Because Harry Kane, 50, against the old enemy shouldn't matter if Germany had already scored another one or two. Um, and this is where my frustration is ultimately at. Uh, with this game not with Harry Kane who cares um, you know he can he can score his three or four goals against Tunisia Ecuador and all those countries um, but yeah that's just where I'm at um, boys I think we talked about everything Adrian I haven't heard from you anything from you in a while anything you want to add um, as far as international football goes just shout out to Denmark who are continuing to look excellent under Hillman. they got that win over France and was it Austria? I believe their other win was against. Mm-hmm. So Denmark is certainly a team that I think captured a lot of hearts during Euro 2020. And it's a team that I'm going to really be keeping an eye on at this World Cup because they can get out of that group. And I think that they could cause some issues because they're sort of the, I wouldn't say the opposite of England. I would say that Denmark has a ton of talented players. But if you look at England's players in general, there might be a little bit more quality there. It's just the manager that falls short. But Hillman is is clearly a great coach that's doing great things with Denmark. So just a quick shout out to them because I've been really enjoying watching them lately. And Filippo, what do you think of that? No, I, I did a early prediction video for the World Cup. And one of the things I got the most hate was I said that France would go through their group. They wouldn't have the champion's curse, but Denmark would be first. And I got so much hate for that. It's crazy. Talking about how, and, and then Denmark just beat France. I mean, obviously, when the World Cup comes, it's a different story, different game. But I guess saying Denmark could finish ahead of France is not too crazy of a take. It's very much possible. No, it's it's not. All right, boys. Well, it was a joy once again. Um, we'll be back next week with more content. Maybe some non-UEFA Nations League content. That'd be nice. And maybe Canadian players not striking. That also would be nice. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for listening once again leave us a review let us know how we're doing and uh, just give us five star reviews please everything else just tell us in private (laughs) until next week bye bye